The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org. I'm Carly Meisberger. Today, we talk to Willie Levinson from the Human Access Project about the big float and the benefits of engaging with the Willamette River. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I am joined, as I am most, the beginning of most summers. Uh, Human Access Project is led by Willie Levinson. How are you doing? Doing great. Uh, the countdown is on for for your the big float. Yep. One of the, you know, we're doing a handful of activities this summer We've as we develop our program, but uh, the big float is July 13th. So Saturday, July 13th. So it's coming up. So I, I, I we'll talk a bit about the, the big float, but in some ways the big float eclipses uh, a lot of the other stuff that you do. Yeah. Well, we started, you know, our organization really started doing the big float. And then a couple of years later, I started not the nonprofit Human Access Project. So, you know, uh, probably four years ago, our board and, you know, we all kind of came to the conclusion we need to raise the profile of Human Access Project because a lot of people know what the big float is, but don't realize we organize it. Um, don't necessarily understand what we're doing, what the purpose of human of the big float is, how it connects all the dots. So, but now, you know, um, we've been working on it. I think more and more people understand that, you know, both Human Access Project puts it on and the work that we're doing, what our mission work is, which is transforming Portland's relationship with the Willamette River. So, so I'm going to fall into the, the normal trap then, and let's talk about the big float. Okay, sure. Yeah. So. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll, we're going to come back and talk about the larger picture here. But uh, tell me what the big float is for those of you, for those of our listeners that may not know. Okay, so... To me, the big float is a movement disguised as a party. So, you know, for individual people, um, you know, more and more now, like when I started the big float, uh, the idea of, um, you know, people intertubing in downtown Portland, you know, first year was 2011, you know, I'd say 99% of Portland thought I was stark raving mad. And, you know, the idea that we would intertube in the river. And the funny thing is when it comes to swimming in rivers in a community, Portland, that prides themselves on being green environmental stewards, what's crazy is that we've abandoned the idea that it's a good idea to swim in the river. That's crazy. (laughs) So to me... Uh, you know, it's crazy as a community that a lot of people have said, yeah, you can't swim in that river anymore. I mean, it's something that's natural to humans. It's something that we should fight for. It's, it's, it's a community value. And the fact is now that there's no scientific disagreement that the Willamette is safe for swimming. If you don't feel like the Willamette River is safe for swimming right now, in my mind, you fall in one of two categories. You're either not informed or you are a science denier. Because there's no scientific evidence that says otherwise. But I, don't take it from me. I would just suggest people do a simple Google search and do two minutes of research on their own. So, you know, the big float. Um, I just want to break in real fast, though, because that, that certainly has been... We've been having this conversation, Willie, now for a couple of years. And over that time, and certainly predating that time, that narrative has changed. It has. And, and yeah. at what point do you stop having that conversation about whether the river is safe or not 
or or you know, I mean, are, do you lead that conversation in out of that, or and, and and do you just start talking about the opportunities? That's a good question. I don't feel like we've hit critical mass that we don't stop talking about this yet. And honestly, I feel like when I say those things, that it's a way to arm the um, you know the public of people who do care about the river and relate to the river the way I do. You know, I mean, I had this really interesting out of the closet moment um, in my early advocacy where I, w- I just started saying, you know, I love the Willamette River. I love that river. And it really felt like a bold thing to say because, you know, that was in the face of people making jokes about the Willamette River and things like that. So, you know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, if you participate in the big float, if you are... Um, You know, the beauty of our activism is that the barrier to entry is so low. You know, you can really be an activist by just swimming in the water, and it's fun. When an individual is able to get into the Willamette, whether it's through the River Hugger swim team, whether it's the big float, whether they've heard the news that it's okay to swim and they do it on their own, and then they're able to go back to their own individual cultures, whether whatever color and race or ethnicity you are, and then tell people an alternative narrative, which is, yeah, you know, you shouldn't make jokes about a river. Um, number one, but number two, um, I've swum in the Willamette. and it feels awesome. You know, it feels great. And join me sometime. You know, that's how you develop a grassroots movement. That's how you change culture. Cause ultimately the work of our organization is culture change. We want people to feel differently about the Willamette. We want people to love the Willamette. We want people to fight for the Willamette. We want people to feel hopeful about the Willamette because whatever cause it is you're working on, if people lose hope for whatever it is you're working on the battle is over over and i and i I think i mean for my own personal culture within your definition uh my 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 teenage daughter so she has done the big float uh a couple times uh she's done the mayor's swim mayoral swim yeah uh, and 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 now i can't get her and her friends not to go down to the dock by the just south of the Hawthorne Bridge. That's what they do. That's what teenagers do during the summer. That is like a hot spot. And and I think in terms of looking at some of the changes that the Human Access Project has brought around in the Big Float, I mean, for me, there's a direct relationship between her being in the Big Float to now that freedom. And they don't think twice about jumping in the river. Yeah. So, you know, that's the magic of the big float. I mean, that is kind of a, um, that is like the mass transit of activism, you know, potentially where you can get a lot of people and affect a lot of people at one time. Last year, uh, we did survey results from for the first time. We had 11% survey response from the people who participated, which apparently is a pretty high response rate. 60% of the people who participated last year, it was their very first time in the river. Wow. That's that. I mean, that's that's a lot of uh, converts. That's a lot of new people who will be able to speak differently about the Willamette. And uh, yeah, I mean, the acceptance is going to be exponential. It's a quality of life issue. It's an equity issue. It's a free uh, resource. You know, TriMet, you can argue whether or not it does a good job or not, but it certainly does a good job of shipping people downtown. So wherever you are, you can take uh, public transportation, you can ride your bike. That's what a green city looks like to me, uh, having a river that goes through your city that you feel proud of that you can swim in. 
So I, w- I want to just finish up with the big float, and then let's let's, let's get full. Let's jump headfirst into human access projects. How how many people are we talking about? Ten thousand people. It's been at times five thousand, ten thousand people on tubes, on inflatable uh, unicorns, uh, non-motorized uh, aircraft. Yeah, last year we had five thousand. Um, this year, you know, it's very possible we'll get to seven to eight thousand, depending on the weather. It's a blessing that people have heard this message and responded to it because, you know, a lot of times you work hard on things and you don't get anywhere and, you know, just really interesting things. So how do you measure the intangibleness of culture change? You know, I'll be on an Uber ride and, you know, in my off season when I'm just doing all the invisible work of activism behind, you know, in the in City Hall and in the county and all these other people who, um, you know, I'll be evangelizing to and and battling them with my the great tool of common sense um that uh you know hey so uber ride so uh so how's your day going good you know i just had a you know pretty good meeting so what's your meeting about oh it's you know just about willamette river access he's like oh well you know uh there's beaches in downtown portland now i was like really he's like yeah you know there's this beach poets beach it's like that's cool okay or, uh, you know, another guy, uh, this happened. And, and just to break in, so Be- uh, Poets Beach is something that Human Access Project is directly, uh, deserves the credit for. We completely drove that process. Yeah. And I mean, it wasn't without the support of the mayor's office, Ted Wheeler. I mean, he absolutely championed, has been our champion from day one. And um, yeah, that wouldn't have happened without Ted. I mean, we did a lot of groundwork to position it. But at the end of the day, as a leader, he was just like, yeah, I mean, access is important. Let's create a safe opportunity for people to get into the water. Um, yeah. And then I had another conversation, random Uber driver, probably two to three weeks later, similar situation. He's just like, yeah, you know, I swim at Cathedral Park now. I had no idea you could swim in the Willamette until I heard about Poets Beach. So, I mean, that to me is, you know, the invisible impact of culture change when people are starting to talk about this without really, um, you know, any impetus outside of mentioning the Willamette and access. So it's, it's cool. I mean, it's really neat to be able to witness this cultural change right before our eyes. And I do feel, I do not feel like we've hit the tipping point yet. There is more work to do, but more and more, we're just kind of developing this base of people who believe in what we're doing and, uh, you know, hold the same values that it's a positive thing. So you were mentioning it's really natural to kids to swim in the river, you know, and there's that whole metaphor or story about the fountain of youth. It's real. I mean, when you jump in the water, it brings the kid out in you, you know, and it's something that's joyful. This is the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I'm talking with Willie Levinson, who runs the Human Access Project. Uh, we're going to take a quick music break. You have a song recommendation for us? Oh, Take Me to the River. Can't ever go wrong with that <laughs> one, right? Let's take a listen. Dedicate this song to little Junior Parker. A cousin of mine is going on, but we'd like to kind of carry on in his name. I sang.
That was, of course, Take Me to the River, and we are talking about the Willamette River because we are in the studio with Willie Levinson with Human Access Project. So a lot of what we talked about uh, in in the, the, the top half of the show was the, some of the psychological and cultural barriers to getting people to uh, hug the river, to access the river, to be uh, to bring that as part of their lifestyle. There's other there's other barriers. I mean, there's 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 uh, physical barriers. There's economic barriers. There's legislative barriers. I want to talk maybe some about those. Um, th- th- let's talk. Let's let's first just go through and if we can just pinpoint some of the access points that there are. There's there's the dock by uh, just south of the Hawthorne Bridge. There's Poets Bridge that's on the west side. Poets Beach, yep, under the Markham Bridge on the west side. The Holman Dock is what you referred to as the Wood Dock. You have the Firehouse Dock on the other side of the Hawthorne Bridge on the east side. With Human Access Project, we added a second ladder to that dock this summer, so there's now two ladders to get in and out of that dock. We had a strong hand in advocating to have a ladder put on the Holman Dock, which you're referring to. Uh, There's the Duckworth Dock, um, which is 
um, on the floating section of the Esplanade, which we're working on converting to a non-motorized dock. It's currently a motorized dock. It has a U-shape, so you can swim on the inside, protected from boat traffic. You have Audrey McCall Beach, which 90% chance we're going to be opening up with lifeguards this summer, which is by the Holman Dock. Um, Selwood is a great place to swim. George Rogers Park. I've actually never been there, but I've been told it's super nice. Savvy's Island, Broughton Beach. Those are all places within city limits that you could potentially ride your bike to. And and uh, let, let's maybe use uh, the McCall Beach as a as a case study. What does it take to 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 make that happen? Uh, I mean, one, you need to have some property that is is available. Okay, so Audrey McCall Beach. Yes. Okay, so we'll talk a little politics now about how things like this can happen. So um, this particular site we've been working on since 2012. Um, It started off by, after the first big float, it occurred to me that if I am going to be an honest advocate, I need to start swimming in the Willamette more. Um, So I thought I found this spot. Turns out it was studied by the city two other times. They refer to it as East Bank Crescent. The two times they studied it, they probably spent half a million dollars for plans that just collected dust on a shelf and died. So um, I started picking up concrete chunks while I was swimming there. The site was cluttered with concrete chunks. And then I made a big pile of concrete. I just figured somebody would see this pile of concrete and say, hey, why is there a big pile of concrete on the bank of the Willamette? Nobody cared. So the next step was to get permission to remove it. We had to get permission from eight separate agencies simply to remove concrete chunks from the bank of the Willamette, and we got a yes with the stipulation that we could not use heavy mechanized equipment, which sort of felt like a veiled no. Like people, you know, I'd say um, the popular opinion of like politicians and bureaucrats would probably be that they enjoy saying no. I just don't think humans generally like saying no. Um, so I was thinking, okay, maybe that's just a way for them to say yes, but it's really kind of a no. So I was, but it was still consensus. So I randomly heard a story that Inverness jail has inmate work crews that do community service. And I reached out to him and said, Hey, you know, here's the situation. I got permission from eight, seven agencies. I want to remove these concrete chunks because when I see these concrete chunks on the bank of the Willamette, it communicates to me that our city doesn't care about the river. And uh, the person from Inverness said, yeah, I get it. We'll help you out. So the first couple of times they brought down a 10-person inmate work crew with an ATV with a bed on the back. I invited my friends out. It was totally under the radar because when you have eight separate agencies approving, it just takes one to say no to stop it. So um, over four years, we wound up removing 19 tons of concrete by hand. Wow. And what that did was um, address the imagination gap. In our mind, we saw that there was a beach there, but it's really hard to have the imagination to see a beach there when it's cluttered with concrete chunks. That led to um, making a proposal to Mayor Hales at the time to study making a beach there. He funded $300,000 to investigate creating a, a beach there. And I'm just committed to not let that plan collect dust and die on a shelf like these other ones have. And and what what are they studying? I mean, how, that, that's... Here's the thing with studies is, you know, I did some work early on when I was doing advocacy on 42nd Avenue between Prescott and Killingsworth. And, you know, we were trying to do... This was probably 22 years ago. And at the time, we were trying to bring the community together to bring some enhancements, to try to bring more people there. And, you know, the very first step was to have a market study done. 
And the conclusion of the market study, we had to spend like five or $6,000, something stupid, which we didn't have the money for as a community association, people who are interested. The conclusion of the market study was people in this community want trash cans and lighting and uh, street trees and like everything you would have imagined anyway. But these studies are the grease of the bureaucracy. They want something to hang their hat on. So, you know, and ultimately it does take some time to develop, you know, do community outreach. In the case of Audrey McCall Beach, it does take some time to do community outreach. They want to hire hiring designers that are outside the city to do some of this stuff. So, you know, at the end of the day, you just have to un- decide what you're going to fight for. Yes, it's sort of stupid that it's ridiculous that it cost $300,000 to do that work. That's a lot of money. But at the end of the day, it brought us one clo- step closer to what we wanted to get to. And, and and now you're saying you're at the point that there may be lifeguards there this summer. Who's Who would fund the lifeguards? So I had a meeting with um, uh, Mayor Wheeler um, earlier this year. First time I've actually met with him face-to-face since he's been in office, as supportive as he's been. I haven't really felt like it was necessary because the access that I've had to his staff has been great. So I sat down with him and says, you know, explained to him, like, this plan has been paid for, but it cannot collect dust and die on a shelf. We need to keep it moving forward. We have to do something. So this is the year we need to bring lifeguards in. And he said, okay, I like it. You know, I'm, I've supported it. Then I got to meet Nick Fish for the first time. He now manages the uh, Parks Department and Bureau of Environmental Services. Very good alignment. Um, the week before I was getting ready to meet with him, it was announced that there was a $6 million budget deficit. So I had to shift gears a little bit. And I never want money to be the reason why something doesn't happen. And what's nice now is we've accumulated enough money with Human Access Project that I told them, you know, we'll fund the lifeguard program. We're going to privately fundraise for lifeguards. This is not going to happen because of money. If you want to give me a no, it's not going to be because of money. So I met with city staff from, you know, BES and planning, uh, parks, BES, and we talked about opening up the beach program. He says, well, you know, we just had a $6 million budget deficit. We have no support. We can't pull the permits or do any of those things. I said, okay, I will pull the permits. So then uh, the meeting was over. Next week, I got a meeting from Parks. They said, okay, here's all the permits you have to pull. And at the first, when I first saw that email, I was thinking, wow, you guys are actually going to have me pull these permits. And then I thought, you know what? You know, when I started my activism, what I realized really quickly is like if you've ever gone to a conference and you don't know anybody there and you look around and everybody's like, hey, how's it going? How's it been? You know, and you just kind of like, you, you know, you don't have any of these relationships. What I realized to get some stuff done, what I wanted more than anything was to earn the benefit of the doubt. You know, so if I misstep, somebody else missteps, you know, you say, oh, you know, um, he's doing the right thing. He's not perfect, you know, and being able to develop some level of trust to get these things done. So I thought, you know what, this is everything I've ever wanted. I mean, if the parks department trusts me enough to pull these permits for them, you know, um, that's saying a lot. So sure enough, where we are right now is we wrote grant funds and we have the money to pay for the lifeguards. We, uh, got approval to put a storage container on the site for the lifeguard equipment. It's going to be going in tomorrow. Uh, all the permits have been approved by DSL, Army Corps of Engineers, and Oregon State Marine Board is in full support and have said they're going to work with us to uh, get the permit for the swim line. And our attorneys are talking to parks attorneys right now, and they're figuring out if parks can get comfortable with doing this. It's been working on it for about nine months now. So um, I'm hopeful that 
um, good sense will prevail because, you know, if it doesn't, I guess parks would be turning away a fully funded, fully permitted lifeguard program. When is there a possible uh, the opening, opening date? The opening is going to be July 5th. That is that's the scheduled date of opening. That's fantastic. And just again, uh, let, let people know where, where the beach is. So Ajumakal Beach is on, it's adjacent to the Holman Dock, which you're referring to, which is probably the most popular swimming spot in downtown Portland, the Wood Dock. It's south of the Hawthorne Bridge on the east side of the Willamette. So you'd access it from Madison. It's typically how I get there myself. It's right off the Esplanade. Mm-hmm. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday. For four to five hours a day, we're going to have two AMR River Rescue lifeguards that are EMT, swift water rescue trained. They're totally over-engineered because there's virtually no current on the Willamette. And we're going to put out a a temporary swim line when they open their shift, and it's going to come down at the end of their shift. And they'll be there every Friday, Saturday, Sunday through September 1st, except for July 13. We're going to... We're going to utilize their resources for the big float. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations on that, and congratulations on uh, success of the big float, success of opening up the river. Uh, as as we wrap things up here, what 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 next? Then, what are the next challenges for Human Access Project and and for uh, getting more people to care and take care of and be involved with the Willamette? There needs to be cultural change within the Parks Department, just as broadly as there needs to be cultural change within Portland. Here's our situation right now in the city. According to Bureau of Environmental Services, Parks and Recreation, Bureau of Planning, Fire Department, Oregon Health Authority, DEQ, Travel Portland, Travel Oregon, Multnomah County River Patrol, Coast Guard, many more. All these people are communicating. PBOT, we did Sunday splashers with them. Think of the reach of all of those combined organizations. According to all these organizations, it's a good idea to swim in the Willamette now. The city of Portland is providing no direction to direct people to the least risky places to get into the river. It is a very thin line between irresponsible and negligent, and it's classic Portland siloism. At a certain point, it would cost nothing for the Parks Department to just put on their website. We recommend that you, you know, swimming is dangerous. It's a dangerous activity, but we recommend that you swim at Selwood or Roger McCall Beach. The only thing they mention right now is Poets Beach, uh, which really serves the River Place community. Uh, it's not really every neighborhood needs to have a local access point, because if we don't direct people to where we want them to go, they're going to pioneer their own spots. We need to direct people to the least risky places to get into the water and engineer them to be as safe as possible. So just like I will never say that swimming is completely safe, I'll also say being a pedestrian is not completely safe, being a bike rider is not completely safe, driving a car is not completely safe. But what you do is you acknowledge that these activities are dangerous and you engineer them to be safer. You put up protected bike lanes, you put up crosswalks, you put up sidewalks, you develop speed limits. These are the types of things we have to do. So you put up floating swim lines. They cost nothing. The interesting thing that I learned about Poets Beach is that, you know, if I had a tie on right now, I would look a lot more professional from, you know, what our cultural norms are. But you have a really nice sweat, sweatshirt that has well, the, the logo see. for Human Access Project. <laughs> well, let's just say I was wearing a nice button-down shirt. <laughs> Phil's more pulled together than I am. Let's just say I had a nice button-down shirt on with a tie on. You'd say, okay, well, this dude's kind of pulled together, right? But it's all it's completely psychological. All it is is the same old willy with a string around my neck. A tie is just a string around your neck. A floating swim line is just a string in the water, but somehow it communicates to people, we want you to swim here, 
and people feel safer. It's the exact same river. It's just a floating string in the water. That is the very simple things you can do to get people to swim where you want them to swim. We have a more responsibility as a city when you're broadcasting that broadly that it's okay to swim. It's our second largest public space and natural area, and it is dangerous. You know, we want people to go in certain places, and we don't want them to go in other places. So, you know, we have to put out a little energy to say this is where we, you know, recommend you go. Because right now, it's basically up to Human Access Project to um, provide that. And we do not have the reach of all of those combined agencies, particularly the Parks Department. Parks Department is really kind of the agency that's responsible for fun in our city. Uh, Willie Levinson, thank you for all the work that you have done and continue to do through Human Access Project. Uh, the big float is on July 13. Uh, do sign up. Get down there. It is fun. It's a party. It is a great way to spend the morning, the day. Uh, and it's 50% off registrations, only $5 through July 7th. So just check it off your list, register, and uh, yeah, it's uh, Join the Revolution. Thank you, Willie. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is made possible by Beneficial State Bank, a certified B Corps that holds to what it calls a triple bottom line of social justice, environmental well-being, and economic sustainability. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our executive producer and editor is me, Carly Meisberger. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in.